Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Minnesota helps combat wildfires in the West. A U of M professor with tips on fun and unique ways to get your kids adjusted to wearing face masks. And former Golden Gopher star hockey player Nick Bukestad joins the Minnesota Wild. But first... The fact is that everything he's saying so far is simply a lie. I'm not here to call out his lies. Everybody knows he's a liar. But you I just agree. want to make sure. Just, you're the liar. I, 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 I want to make sure. You graduated last in your class, not first in your I, class. <laughs> I want to make Mr. sure. Mr. President, can you let him finish, sir? No, he doesn't know how to do that. He has, You'd you know, surprised. You, you pick You'd be surprised. the Go wrong ahead, guy, oh, the wrong night at the wrong time. Listen, you agreed with Here's Bernie Sanders to the manifesto. The whole idea, let, let him, there him. is no manifesto, number Please one. Please let him speak, Mr. Number President. Number two. You just lost the left. Number two. I, I, you just lost the left. The first presidential debate and what comes next. I spoke with Carleton College political science professor Stephen Shear to get his insights. I have not seen anything as blunt and divisive and harsh as that debate for a 90-minute period. Uh, and I don't think either candidate uh, really uh, acquitted himself well in all that. And that's going to kind of lead to my next line of questioning in terms of what do you think the candidates need to do moving forward to, uh, to put this behind them and to try to get voters on their side moving forward? You know, that's a very good question. Uh, you have to keep in mind that Biden and Trump came into the debate in very different situations. Uh, Biden had been very low-key, and I think people had been looking to see what he would be like in a debate. Trump, for a lot of people, is a known quantity. They've made up their mind about him. They've, you know, he spent over three years in the White House and so forth. So, uh, Trump was being Trump in a particularly aggressive way, and I don't think that was very helpful to his campaign. But on the other hand, Biden really did not rise above it and threw a lot of insults and was uh, cranky and unpleasant as well. And I don't think that helps Biden either. So I think each candidate has some repair to do. You know, one of the big uh, elements of the debate was the president not outright condemning white supremacism or white supremacy. And uh, I just, you know, the Democrats are really poking at that. Uh, I just spoke with state GOP party chair Jennifer Carnahan, and she defended the president saying he doesn't have a white supremacist bone in his body. Uh, What kind of damage control does he need to do with this particular issue? Well, what Trump did was uh, when he got that question, he diverted it and said the problem is in the left, not the right. So uh, it's not as if he embraced the white supremacists, but uh, he did not take the opportunity to denounce them. And I think that was because he decided to be maximally aggressive throughout the debate. And in that case, a simple sentence saying, yes, I do disavow them, would be all he needed to do. But I think he was too aggressive to do that. The president was trying to paint a picture before the debate, wondering if um, Vice President Biden had the stamina to get through such a debate or even to to be the president of the United States. What do you think about Biden's performance in the debate? Well, uh, you know, Biden was okay, but I wouldn't say he was great. I mean, I do think he showed his age a bit, and uh, he started to slip a bit more as the... Uh, we got into the last half hour of the debate. So um, 
you know, I don't think that Biden created big problems for himself, but I also think he didn't reassure a lot of people that he's fully up to the job. We've talked about this a lot in the past. Uh, you know, we've got, in terms of the impact on Minnesota voters that the debate would have had, you know, a lot of voters in greater Minnesota seem to be supporting Trump, according to the polls, whereas Biden has the stronger support in the metro. In terms of the debate, do you think it had much of an impact on voters in Minnesota, and are there still undecided folks that, that it may have impacted? Well, I think the undecideds are probably still undecided about this. Um, frankly, there wasn't a lot to like about either candidate in this debate, and that, I think, keeps a lot of voters up in the air in Minnesota and nationally. I'll go back to my initial question. With, uh, with a debate like that, uh, you yourself say you haven't really seen anything like that. Uh, tell me a little bit about, as, a, as a, a political scientist, somebody who's studied American politics for quite some time, uh, how do you process something like that, which has been unprecedented, the, the way that they had the back and forth uh, in the debate? Well, I think it simply reflects, uh, perhaps accurately, how divided our politics have been for some time, uh, predating Trump even. Uh, and uh, in that sense, it was, uh, I would say, uh, a relatively more accurate view of American political divisions than we get in a presidential debate when candidates try to play nice and paper over things. And in terms of the significance of candidate visits to Minnesota, again, we've had Trump or Trump surrogates visiting the state quite frequently, uh, the Biden camp less frequently. How much of an impact does that have? Well, I think it has a short-term impact. Uh, and uh, what will really matter is uh, who's visiting the state in the last couple weeks and what their messages are. Uh, but I think we should understand that the Trump people have put extraordinary emphasis upon this state, spending uh, over four. 14 million in ads and flooding the state with uh, Trump and his uh, surrogates and personal appearances, uh, focusing on getting a record turnout in greater Minnesota that can overwhelm the blue bastions of Minneapolis and St. Paul. So we're going to see more of this. And the president is trying to cast doubt on the integrity of the election and its results. Is that something that Minnesotans should be concerned about? Is that legitimate? Well, I think that uh, we are in uncharted waters in terms of how uh, the votes will be counted. I think it's a bigger problem in other states than in Minnesota because we have a pretty reliable absentee ballot process. Um, uh, uh, Nationally, though, it may be an issue. So stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned, exactly. Thank you to my guest, Carleton College political science professor Stephen Shear. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Tim Veldy is a Minnesota farmer from Henley Falls and director on a rural electric co-op board. Rural electric co-ops were formed to provide electricity to rural Minnesota when no one else would do it and have now gone into trying to get broadband across rural Minnesota. Small businesses and students rely on it, especially now. When Congress put all that at risk with a tax law that ended up hurting rural communities, Senator Smith was the first person we went to. Senator Smith listened to us, understood our problem, crafted a bill and got it passed and signed into law 
with bipartisan support. Senator Smith was instrumental in saving economic development for rural Minnesota families. Senator Smith is great to work with. She wants to understand the problem. She wants to fix the problem. I'm Tina Smith, candidate for U.S. Senate, and I approve this message. Paid for by Tina Smith from Minnesota. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. As fires rage in western states, Minnesota Forest Service workers are among those fighting the fires. MNN reporter J.W. Cox tells us who these Minnesotans are that are now on the front lines. No matter what their role, Scott, these Minnesotans are pitching in miles from home to put down blazes across several western states. We have a range of support resources that we provide. So we provide things like equipment. So fire engines would be one of those. And then also personnel. So we have a dedicated fire staff on the forest. And that includes people ranging from, you know, like fire management officers to firefighters to fuel technicians. Um, currently, many of those staff are out west on detail already. They go out for 14-day details at a time, and then they'll often come back for a few days of rest and go back out on another detail. Um, some of those folks are on their second or third detail out west. We also have others on the forest that aren't, you know, whose normal job isn't fire, and those people will go out on fire detail as well. So, for example, we had our forest supervisor and our acting deputy forest supervisor actually both out on a 14-day fire detail providing administrative support for fire operations. That's Superior National Forest spokesperson Kate Legner telling us about the unselfish dedication of the workers. But it's more than just care for their fellow man that these workers are bringing with them out west. They're also bringing hands-on knowledge of what needs to be done to both put down the fires and limit their spread. We also have employees that are housed at the Minnesota Interagency Fire Center. And that's kind of the coordination center for responding to local and nationwide fires from uh, Minnesota. So our employees are already experienced, you know, as work in working as part of a team, an interagency team. And that's really important for folks going out west, a requirement out there. A total of 70 staffers from the Superior and Chippewa National Forests are now on the ground in western states helping fight the fires. 38 more Minnesota-based employees of the National Park Service, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, and Bureau of Indian Affairs are also supporting the efforts. Legner says it isn't just camaraderie that makes her proud of her fellow Forest Service officials. I may be biased, obviously, being on this forest, but we do have our own fire and fuels shops and then the associated employees on staff all the time. And that's because, you know, we're a really big forest and we do have fires of our own. Like this summer in particular, we had one of the longest dry spells in, you know, recorded weather history. And so we had fires that were popping up here. And then our dedicated employees are obviously really familiar with the rules and the systems in place to get out and work on fires because they do so on the Superior For an example of that extra expertise, along with general technicians and other specialists, Minnesota workers, Legner says, have the ability to assist in the aerial fight against these wild blazes. We have an aviation component to our forest as well, and that's kind of unusual. We have our uh, DHC-2 beaver planes and pilots. We have a seaplane base. And so these planes are going out and they're used in wildfire detection and other related operations kind of year-round. So our staff are also familiar with this whole aviation component of 
fire suppression work. While Legner says they can never be certain what the situation will dictate with the Western wildfires, they remain vigilant and ready to continue providing whatever assistance is needed. We're intending to just continue our support into the fall as needed. Um, when the national fire preparedness level did increase to its highest level of the PL5, is what we call it, preparedness level 5, that happened on August 18th. Uh, we started working nationally as a, the Forest Service agency to adjust our resources and kind of reset our priorities to get out there and address these fires. And, you know, we go out first to address the fires with the most values at risk. So human safety is primary priority for our agency and then followed by that, our property and natural resources. Um, we did recently receive a letter from the chief of the Forest Service asking us to bring, you know, the full force of the agency to the front lines by encouraging employees that could go available to do so immediately. So um, Superior, you know, we've had employees that have been out there, but more have made themselves available since that call. And then others have gone out to replace those who have come back. And again, like I said, you know, some are out there on their second or third effort. So we're going to do that into the fall as long as is needed. As for the conditions, Legner mentioned from this past dry spring and summer, she says no one here should be concerned. Their first priority remains the safety and protection of forests in Minnesota, and they're maintaining vigilance in their own fire prevention efforts. You know, the folks that remain on the forest and those people help to kind of fill in behind those people who are on detail out west. So oftentimes they'll be doing a few different jobs and at a time and just shifting their workloads around and obviously that's all in the name to, of protecting the public and trying to safely manage wildland fire throughout the entire year. At the time of our interview, the wildfires burned more than six million acres. Legner says any support they can provide is what they must do. Hoping that everybody stays as safe as they can out there and we're happy to provide the support. Scott, back to you. Thank you, JW. Minnesota Matters returns after this. back to Minnesota Matters. Adjusting to face masks has been a challenge for many children during COVID-19. Today, Tasha Radel looks for answers and tips on how to make the process a little easier. That's right, Scott, face masks. I think it's fair to say there are many adults, including myself, who don't care for them, but in the end, it's for the greater good. Today's focus, however, is on kids and masks. Joining me is Johanna Orman, a child life specialist and instructor in the Institute of Child Development at the University of Minnesota. Johanna, why are some kids so resistant to wearing a face covering? There's a few different reasons why children may have difficulty wearing a face covering. One might be that they don't understand why. Why is it important that they wear a face covering during this time? Or they may have um, issues related to sensory, um, tactile sensory things on their face. So it may be frustrating or upsetting to have something on their face. And so the resource that we developed talks about how to use uh, developmentally appropriate language. So talking to kids on their level about why masks are important, how we can wear masks, and talks about doing practice at home in as a as a tool to help kids become more comfortable with it and hopefully help them be more successful during those times when they have to wear their mask, like being at school or being at a different public place, like maybe the doctor's office or the dentist's office where they may have to wear a mask for a time. And so 
that's what the resource that we developed, uh, myself and my colleague Laura Sufka worked on this just to have a resource for parents or teachers or others in the community to who may be working with children uh, in their either professional life or as a parent and how can they help those kids. I know you are also encouraging parents to let their child play a role in choosing the mask. Absolutely. So when they're, we know um, w- from talking about children in, in stressful situations that one of the things that can be really stressful for them is the lack of choices or the lack of control. So being told as a child that you have to do something can be frustrating in and of itself. And so what are the ways that you can help kiddos feel more in control of a situation? And one of the main ways is by giving them choices that are available. So wearing the mask is not a choice, but they could choose if they want to wear a purple mask or a blue mask today, or maybe if that's an option to get a mask with their favorite character or their favorite design on it. That's just a way that we can help kids feel more in control and maybe be more apt to wear the mask if they're resisting wearing the mask. Another tip you recommend, Johanna, is to provide opportunities for play. Can you explain and elaborate on that? Absolutely. So we know, again, with working with children in stressful situations, that play is a tool for helping children understand and helping children cope. And so providing those opportunities to play either, again, with their own mask and playing peekaboo or wearing different masks to try how different ones feel, using their stuffed animals to try masks on and those kinds of that kind of play And those play opportunities can, again, just provide more comfort and more normalization around wearing masks. You know, when talking to our kids about the pandemic, I think we adults forget that kids just might not be connecting all of the dots. It's it's complicated for some of us adults to keep up with all the information. So we really need to come down to their age level when discussing... Absolutely. We always advocate for talking with kids at their age-appropriate or their developmentally appropriate level. And so finding those ways to help explain things on very basic terms for young children um, can be helpful. COVID is COVID-19 and, and the whole effect on the community and our lives has been impactful for all ages. And for children, it's hard to explain a virus on on their level, Um, but talking about germs that we we can't always see germs and how can we protect ourselves from germs and how can we protect others from germs? We can wear this mask and we can wash our hands. We can't see them, they're invisible, but we know that they're here and in the air. And so, yes, talking to them on their level is really important. And one of the other things we mentioned is asking them to tell us how they're feeling about it. So looking for those opportunities to uh, have kids express their feelings about it so that we can validate those feelings and acknowledge those feelings. Because, again, when things can are different or stressful for kids, sometimes part of that is that they don't feel heard and they don't feel understood about their stress or their frustration. Thanks again to my guest, Johanna Orman, a child life specialist and instructor in the Institute of Child Development at the University of Minnesota. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will return after this.
Quitting smoking or vaping can be difficult, and it can be even harder during times like these, when stress is often higher. Finding healthy ways to manage that stress without nicotine is important. For Minnesota residents who are ready to quit smoking, vaping, or using smokeless tobacco, Quit Partner is ready to help. Through a family of free programs, Quit Partner offers free support like one-on-one coaching, emails and texts, educational materials, and quit medications like patches, gum, and lozenges delivered by mail. In fact, a mix of quit coaching and quit medications can help double a person's chances of quitting. No matter what support a person would like to try through Quit Partner, it's always judgment-free. And now that Minnesota has raised the legal sales age for tobacco to 21, residents may be looking for quitting resources now more than ever. To learn more, visit quitpartnermn.com or call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Former Golden Gophers star hockey player Nick Bukestad of Blaine got some good news recently when he was traded from the Pittsburgh Penguins to his hometown team, the Minnesota Wild. Bukestad played for the Gophers from 2010 through 2013 and has been in the NHL for parts of nine seasons with both Florida and Pittsburgh. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm spoke with Bukestad about returning to Minnesota to keep his pro career going. It's pretty cool, pretty exciting, and it's going to be a different atmosphere than what I experienced down in Florida, obviously. You know, having family and friends around, and I'm going to use that to my benefit and try to stay focused. I just keep saying that I'm going to treat it like I got traded to any other team, and um, you know, I'm going to take pride every day going to the rink and doing my best to help the team win a Stanley Cup and it happens to be in a wild jersey and the team I grew up cheering for so it's pretty cool. Yeah really cool indeed and and I was going to ask about that being in the hometown you mentioned with family members around friends around uh, you know I, I could see where there could be some pressure uh, whether it's hey um, do you have tickets hey um, can I get some merchandise hey can I do this hey you need to score a goal tonight where you know when you're playing in Florida you're tucked away maybe you, you know you can mind your own business and go out and, 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 and go about it so I suppose in one sense it's great to be back. In another sense, there is going to be a new aspect to this of handling everything involved with it, right? Yeah, no doubt. I think I'm pretty aware of how that goes. Is I've talked to a few guys that have played here from Minnesota, and you know they give me their tips, and they said it can be great or it can be stressful, and it's just ever however you make it. So I, uh, I think I'm at the point in my life. You know, I got two young daughters. I have a family here, and if I was maybe 21, 22 years old, just coming to the league, I think it would be lot tougher position but I'm going to use it to my advantage use the excitement of you know being around where I grew up and it's a tough league wherever you're playing so uh, you can make it as stressful and as uh, as much pressure as as you want or you can choose to you know find ways to you know try to calm yourself when you're not doing well or if uh, you're, you're feeling the pressure I think I'm at the point where um you know, my career is obviously number one right now, but I uh, I can definitely kind of sift out the outside noise. What uh, did your family think? How excited is uh, are your parents and 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 uh, everybody else? Your uncle and uh, you know friends too. Yeah, uh, that, yeah. That Friday night, I got traded. Pretty crazy. Tough to sleep that night. I had a lot of calls and texts. So I think the most someone asked me who was the most excited. I I think without a doubt it was my mom. I don't know if it was because I was playing here or if her grandkids were going to be in town for (laughs) another year. I think that makes a big difference in being able to be around the family, especially when the girls are growing up and, you know, they can 
help out when I'm gone a little bit, which is huge. And it's where we plan to live when we're, when I'm done playing. So yeah, it just ended up working up, working out perfectly. Mentioned your wife ran track, uh, Jackie, is she, is she a Minnesota native as well? Or was she, is she a transplant now having come to the U from outside? No, she has, she's a Scotty. She's from Stevens Point, Wisconsin. So she went to high school there and we went to the, we we were in the same dorm at, at the U Territory Hall, met there and got married at what were we 24 25 so yeah tough living in the house sometimes with a Packer fan but <laughs> she's uh we had the commonality with the the gopher gopher alum going on so I think it's tough for her dad to, to wear the maroon and gold but he'll do it every once in a while for us and she's accustomed to Minneapolis pretty well. Um, obviously, I mean, you know all the rosters and you know what the league's about and you know kind of where the Wild have fit in here in recent years. How do you think you fit into that schedule or into that roster? And and how do you how good do you think this team can be as uh, Bill Guerin continues to to shuffle things a little bit with the with the way the team's makeup is? Yeah, I mean, I was definitely excited. Aside from being from Minnesota, it's an exciting team. I think there's going to be. Uh, you know, a lot of steps made from this past year coming into next year. I, I'm just looking forward to getting into the room. Obviously, I'm still in the process of meeting some of the guys, and some guys are back home at the moment. But from the guys I have met, they, they seem super excited about next year. And as far as where I fit in, I can play center and wing. So I, I, I was lucky enough to play wing for a few years down in Florida, but mostly center in my career. So wherever that puts me, I'm just here to try to help the team win some games and fight for that Stanley Cup. That's the main goal of every team and every player going into the season. So just gelling with the guys as soon as possible. And, you know, it's just it seems like a good, uh, fun group to be a part of. So really looking forward to getting that first game whenever that will be obviously a lot of uncertainty but you know after missing most of the year I've been uh been on the ice a little more now and you know the rehab and the the strength and conditioning process has been coming along so I'm just doing my best to try to be the the best version of myself and wherever that puts me uh you know I'm I'm willing to accommodate well we're really looking forward to seeing you playing back here in st paul and you know back that was back in the day when you were with the u that uh, you know st paul was the host of those conference tournaments do you have some memories of of playing some important games in that building i would assume yeah I have some great memories i also have some not so great memories but the not so great ones more so in high school uh, not being able to win a state championship made it all three years with blaine but never could pull it off can thank kyle rao and nick letty for the one year i think that was their closest year and they beat us in the semis. We had them up 2 nothing before uh, the third period, and they came back. Kyle scored a couple goals, and they ended up winning it. But, yeah, when we got to college, playing in the final five, those, I mean, I grew up watching the Gophers. That was like, those guys were like the biggest stars to me. Um, you know, they, they won in 02 and 03, and I had posters all over my room. That Those were my idols. So when, when I finally got to play at the XL and, to play against North Dakota and some other games it was just crazy and actually we lucked out that the regionals were one year we made it to the frozen four down in Tampa the the regionals were in at the XL so we ended up winning there beat North Dakota that felt pretty good so um, yeah it's a really cool cool place for me and I've always loved playing there. That's new Minnesota Wild forward Nick Bukestead and MNN sports director Mike Grimm. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.